the In Conversation podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. Get ready for takeoff. Welcome to another episode of my In Conversation podcast series. My guest today is veteran songwriter and music producer, Steve Salvari. Hi Steve, welcome to my podcast series. How are you? I'm doing okay, man. I'm all good. So what have you been up to recently? Continue with my life, really. Been uh, recording, mixing, writing. Yeah, life has carried on much as it always has. Well, I've heard a lot of people complaining about the lockdown and they're climbing the walls and they're going stir crazy. So what have you been doing then to keep yourself kind of busy? Writing songs and doing other, other stuff? Yes, but I've also been very still. What are the benefits of being still then? When you're still, you allow nothing to encroach upon yourself. So you keep, keep things in perspective. And, you know, I've always been the sort of person that accepts what the situation is and deals with it accordingly. And uh, that's what I've been doing. So I haven't been climbing the walls. I'm, I've always been very happy with my own company. So um, I just got on with stuff. There's a lot to do. And, you know, I stopped watching the TV. I don't read newspapers. So I'm not being terrorised. So that's how I've dealt with it. Well, avoiding the news is probably a good idea because it's never good news anyway, is it, really? I get up very early in the morning to get my uh, exercise, okay? And uh, before I go out, I turn the telly on to catch up with the world. And since this thing has kicked off, it's 100% all about the situation. And... I really don't like it. I think, I think you know, it's kind of a, it's good to be informed, but it becomes a point where it just tips over into just terrorising the people. And that's how I feel about it. And, I, you, can, and you can print that. I just think we've been um, terrorised by this situation and I'm not having any part of it. So I don't watch the news anymore and I don't read newspapers. Well, as they say, it's very good to be informed, but you don't want to be unindated because it can get well, too much. This is this is the case, you know, and there, there, there becomes a point where, you know, um, there comes a point where you, you have to wonder what, what, what it's really about. And I don't want to get too deep into it. I have my thoughts about it, but I refuse to take part. You know, I respect people's fears and all this kind of business, but I'm not having any of it. And um, that's what I want to say about it, really. Okay, Steve. So where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up all over, but I classed myself as a wood green boy because when I was when I was twelve ish, I moved to Wood Green, and it was the first place that I met. Uh, you know, I started to make friends that I could hang out with every day. You know, like a lot of us um, first generation people. You know, we you know we moved around until we found our place, and. Um, my life experience led me to being not in London. Whilst living in London, you know, I went, I went away to school eight years, eight years old, I think I was. So all my friends um, at these various schools that I went to were scattered all over the country. And I never saw them, you know, during half term or end of term or whatever it was. But um, once I moved to Wood Green, that all changed. So I passed myself as a Wood Green boy. When you were at school or your various schools, what were your favourite subjects? I liked Greek mythology, Greek and Roman mythology. I like English. Uh, I like technical drawing. I like, obviously, music. There were there were a lot of geography, history, history, very much so. Yeah, you know, I could go on, but you know, those those were my favourite subjects. I could say. 
So during your life journey, has there been a particular experience that you believe changed you as a person? I don't think there's been one particular incident that changed, changed me as a person. I've had a, quite an interesting life and there have been many different things that happened, all of which I've responded to. But I would say that holding my, my son and my granddaughter were major influences, you know, made me feel differently about things. I would say they're the greatest things, I would say that. But there have been many things that have changed me as a person. I, you know, I'm um, constantly in situations that um, make me go, wow, really? First time I heard chameleon, you mad changed me man first time i heard she loves you that changed me too who, who, who are those tracks by chameleons by herbie hancock and um she loves you by the beatles quite different genres of music then you could say that i could go further when i heard red house by Jimi hendrix that changed me too there are a lot there are a lot of things there are a lot of things you know because you know i sort of uh it started being how would you say conscious in the early 60s you know i've got i've got a very strong memory i think so strong in fact i can remember being in trinidad i came here when i was three years old but the moment i heard a song called love me do everything changed and that's a beatles chin before that it was all sinatra glenn miller and you know calypso and all kinds of things right you know this particular sound was a profound moment to be honest so um yeah so you've got a long history in the the music business or the music industry so how did you actually get involved with music my mother was a frustrated piano player it's something you know she did she did it for a quick minute but she never took it any further prior to that you know i um she taught me my first i think she taught me three songs three songs on the piano the Virgin of venice home sweet herman home and Fleur de Lis. Before that, I'd started playing guitar. You know, everybody was playing guitar when I was a kid. But when she bought, she bought me a piano when I was about 14 or 15, and she taught me these three songs. I went on from there, I found that I could just do it. And I started um, writing my own songs, you know, pretty soon after, to be honest. So you've been writing lyrics for quite a long time then? Yes, I've been, you know, um, it's an interesting way of putting it. I actually, when I write, I actually generally write the music first, and then I put lyrics to it. So that is 99% of the time. There'll be, you know, there there'll be times when um, a lyric comes to me or a song title. One of one of the things that I do very well is come up with hook lines, you know, a chorus. Sometimes a chorus would come into my head. But mostly, I'd come up with the um, chords first and then go from there. You were a joint founding member of the R&B band Central Line back in 1978. How did that come about? Oh, that's um, that's an interesting story. Central Line didn't come out of nowhere. None of the Brit Funks did. Brit Funk bands did. They all moved from one thing to another. And I, in, uh, I think it was about 76, I started working for a music company. And one of the guys there, a guy called Richard Lightman, was the musical director for a band called TFB. And um, he said to me, you know, he came to me, once, you know, we just got along really very well. And one day he said to me, look, man, you know, I've got this band and I think you should join it, right? I'm, I'm looking after them. They, was, they had a deal with um, a label 
which was a subsidiary of a company called Carlin. Now, Carlin Music had major acts like Elvis Presley, let me say no more. And um, he started hounding me to join this band. And at the time, I was uh, in my early 20s, I suppose. And uh, I said, how old are these guys? And he said, like, 18, 19. And I was like, no, I don't think so. Anyway, he finally tricked me into um, going down to meet them. And I heard them play, and I joined. Now, in that band was uh, three of the future Central Line guys. There was Henry Defoe, Camille Hines, and Lipson Francis. And the drummer was Errol Kennedy, who people know was the drummer, uh, future drummer of um, Imagination. So that band broke up, but who had just left that band was a guy called um, Kenny Wellington. Kenny Wellington into Light of the World. So when that band broke up, Kenny said to me, come and play with us. So for a quick minute, I was playing with um, Light of the World, the second incarnation. The second incarnation of Light of the World was managed by a guy called Brent Clark, who was the guy who took Bob Marley to Ireland. So when the second incarnation of Light of the World broke up, a couple of guys, Henry and Lipson, came around my house and said, let's get the band back together. So Cabell and I had not split up you know, we'd continued working. So we had a four-piece. We recruited um, Linton, Linton Beckles, the lead singer of Central Line. Linton and I had been in, uh, up to that point, um, two bands. I called him up and said, I've got a new band. Do you want to come and sing? So he was in. We auditioned for a, a drummer. The drummer that we chose was a guy called Jake Le Mazurier, who was the son of Hattie Jakes and uh, John Le Mazurier. We went from um, zero to a record deal in just under a year. And that's, you know, kind of like the beginning of it. You know, the whole scene is quite incestuous, but, you know, it's a long story. I understand you've worked with several well-known artists. Who have you worked with? How much time have you got? (laughs) Um, I've worked with um, Barry White. I've worked with Robert Palmer. I've worked with Shaka Khan. I've worked with Lulu. Donito, and I've worked with Aswad. I can't remember them all. Errol Brown, Sheena Easton, Inner City. That's a very long resume. So is this... It's even longer than that. I'm, sh- I'm sure. I'm sure it is. Um, so with these artists you were working with, is this in a recording capacity, producing capacity, or a touring capacity? I recorded with all of them. In the sort of uh, mid to late 80s, we had a little cottage industry going on. The Musicians' Union had a reciprocal deal with America and parts of Europe. So that when their artists came to England uh, to do the TV shows, like Top of the Pops, Motor Mouth, or, you know, Wogan, all the big shows, they had to use British musicians. So that led to a cottage industry. And um, these guys would fly in, and uh, I was, you know, there were two or three teams at the time who were doing all the TV programs. And so these guys would fly in from America or from Europe and um, we would record the tracks to be used on Top of the Pops or Wogan or um, TV programs that were going on at the time. So um, I recorded with all of them. It's quite interesting, you know, Barry White, we did uh, two or three shows with him on um, Top of the Pops, Wogan. And, but um, on one of the recording sessions, he came in and he wasn't very well. And he said to me, he said to us, look, I'm not feeling too good, so we're just going to hit it. So we're like, okay, so we'd already laid down the backing track. 
So you could tell, he, you know, he had a bit of a cold going on. And uh, we thought, oh, well, maybe he won't make it. And he walked into the studio, hit the backing vocals, hit the lead vocals and said, well, I'll see you guys at the studio. And he walked out. It was as quick as that. <laughs> he was quite something. Yeah, well, I did watch a documentary about Barry White couple of years back and he did seem to be the consummate professional he was very driven from what i understand well yeah he was he's you know barry white came from a uh how would you say a deep background right? i mean he was a gangbanger he made no uh, bones about it music lifted him out of it right but he still had that attitude and uh he, he was a, a very strong character you know i had i spent a little time with him he turned that thing that negative thing into a positive thing right and um made it work for him that same drive that made him a top gangbanger made him a top artist well most definitely his legacy will live on so besides music what other interests do you have um well you know i have my martial arts interests and i like to read i like you know um, i'm quite a philosophical person so you know i I read philosophy and um i like walking and uh, um i had a very my, uh, when i was a young fella seven eight years old um i was in the country and um that had a profound effect on me you know we we knew about we could look at the sky tell you if it's going to rain or not that's you know that's that's how deep it got and it stayed me all my life you know and uh, so now me and the other half we like to go walking we go like to go visiting the great houses, you know, Chiswick House and Althorpe House and various places. I really like that. And just, you know, being still. Being still is um, a learned art. Sometimes you just have to just sit there and be still and let your mind be free. When you're still, many things come to you. You can see stuff and, you know, you can see stuff for what, what it is. Well, you mentioned martial arts. What style mm. do you practice? I used to practice myself back in the day. What did you practice? Ah, various. I was a bit of a Bruce Lee buff. So I would yes, just... Yes, but what was your main style? I would say probably I studied karate quite a lot. But I would dip into different different classes, different styles, because as Bruce Lee said, you have to find a style that suits you and then try to, if you can, find what works for you. So kind of like pick and mix, if you like. So, yeah, but I did enjoy it while I was doing it. Anyway, back to you. What style do you practice? Well, my um, major style was Wishing Kwan. And it was, uh, the, the master was a Korean, and he he was a Korean uh, a Taekwondo master. And he split from Taekwondo and formed his own style called Wushu Kwan. And it was very rough and ready. But, you know, as time went on, you know, music took over. You know, I, I think I trained about two years solid, but the music was uh, taking more time. So um, I went back to it. You know, I trained on and off. I've trained on and off since I was 18, really. So um, in later days, I tried, I've trained ta- um, Taekwondo. I've trained Shotokan again. I went back there. I trained um, Tang Sudu. Now, the original drummer of Light of the World gave up music to become a Tang Sudu master. He lives in America now, Junior King. Uh, so we trained under him for a while. So, uh, you know, I've, I've tried, you know, many styles, but the whole, uh, the core is Wushu Kwan. And we've branched off from there. We trained under a great master 
in Taekwondo called uh, Frank Messer and his brother Jeff. They were Turkish guys, so uh, good. Uh, the Americans used to fly them over to America to train their police. That's how good they were. So, you know, martial arts has been quite um, uh, an important part of my life, actually. So what are your plans for the future, Steve? My dream <laughs> is to continue making music and be happy. You know, music makes me happy. You know, I want to see my granddaughter grow into a, uh, a great human being. Beyond that, not much, really. It'd be nice to be comfortable in life. And um, I can't see that having great wealth will make you any happier if you're not happy within yourself. And uh, I'm happy within myself. My granddaughter rings, rings me up on the, on the video, falls around and makes me laugh like a drone. I'm as happy as Larry. So how can people contact you? Um, I'm on Facebook. My music page is uh, Steve Salvari Music. No, sorry, my music page is Moondance Music. My website is stevesalvari.com. I'm on Instagram. And yeah, you know, that's how you can contact me. So, Steve Salvari, thank you very much for your time. Well, thanks for um, giving me a call and having a chat. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. Please join me for another In Conversations podcast very soon for more interesting and entertaining discussions. Stay safe.